Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello. Before we start, I'd like to thank some new patrons. So, Kathan, Catherine Robertson, Grace M. Teresa, and Che Christian Padron. Thank you so much for your support. It means a great deal, and I hope you're enjoying the bonus content that you have access to now. What? I'm your host, Tom Kearns. And welcome to the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, episode 28, Gawisson Unrest. The period between Kinegil's baptism in 636 and the rise of Cadwalla in 685 is one in which the political history of the Gawissa becomes extremely complicated. This is because the political structure of the Gawissa that had developed by this time was one in which any male heir of Serditch was entitled to claim the throne. Thus, while the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle is committed to presenting a unified dynasty linking King Alfred all the way back to Serditch, it cannot totally hide the fact that the political situation among the Gawissa was extremely fraught, particularly on occasions when internal power politics spilled over into the realm of international relations. Such was the case with the attempted assassination of King Edwin of Northumbria. According to Bede, and we talked more about this in the episode on King Edwin, the man behind the plot was Quickhelm, King of the Gawissa. The only Quickhelm we find in West Saxon sources is a man closely associated with King Kinegils, possibly being his son or cousin or some other close relative. In the Chronicle, Quickhelm is only called King of the West Saxons in the entry for 626, which is clearly copied from Bede's history, which we know was one of the chronicler's primary sources. In all other references, usually relating to Kinegil's wars against the Britons and the expansion of Gawisson territory westwards, he is only ever called Quickhelm without a title. The inference from this, and from other similar situations, is that by the 630s, the Gawissa had instituted a system of multiple kings, with the senior king being overlord of all others. Something similar may be seen in Penda's Mercia, with the establishment of Peada and Merowal as kings of petty kingdoms. Politically, it made a certain amount of sense to have minor members of a dynasty hold some kind of political power on a more local level. Not only would it keep their ambitions in check, but it could also serve a useful military purpose, which we'll get into more later in this episode. Although Bede, and by extension the Chronicle, are careful not to implicate Kinegils in the plot to kill Edwin, it is difficult to see how Quickhelm could have acted without Kinegils' knowledge. The failed assassination may have been reflective 
of the Gawissa's international alliances. In trying to kill Edwin, they were perhaps expressing support for the exiled sons of Athelfrith, Oswald and Oswiu. A close bond to the deposed dynasty is reflected later in Kinegil's and Quickhelm's baptism by Birinus in 636, at which Oswald served as Kinegil's godfather. This was a crucial bond in Anglo-Saxon England, and it always marked a close alliance between the two parties involved. It was particularly in the missionary period, but also later on when kings were dealing with Scandinavians, the role of godfather at baptism was often a way of subordinating other kings and forming a close familial alliance with them. Why would the kings of the Gawissa seek closer ties with the kings of the Northumbrians? If you think back to the episode on Penda, there I spoke about what I called his Cold War with Oswald, in which both sides attempted to curry support with the smaller kingdoms south of the Humber. Oswald's overtures to the Gawissa then may have been part of his plan to contain Penda, since we know that prior to the baptism, Kinegils and Quickhelm fought at least one battle against the Mercians. But it also seems that the Gawissa were hedging their bets somewhat, since in addition to receiving baptism with Oswald's sponsorship, Kinegils also facilitated the marriage of his son Kenwayal to one of Penda's sisters. If you think back to the episode on Wolf of Mercia, it was this marriage that probably produced the Mercian Sea Dynasty. It seems then that Kinegils was attempting to play the Mercians and the Northumbrians against each other, seemingly with some success, since he seems to have remained on fairly good terms with them both. Kinegils died around 642. We don't know when Quickhelm died. It's tempting to speculate that they were both killed at Mazafield with Oswald, since the timing of their deaths does seem oddly coincidental. But this is just speculation on my part, and it's possible that Quickhelm survived Kinegils, since the only reference to his being succeeded by his heir, Cuthred, comes from 648, and so possibly Quickhelm outlived Kinegils by a few years. Kinegils was succeeded by Kenwayal. Upon becoming king, Kenwayal had not yet accepted Christianity. We don't know how widely spread the religion was during Kinegils' reign. Bede naturally suggests that it was dominant, but we have no hard evidence to support or disprove that. The bishopric at Dorchester suggests a somewhat established church, but probably one that was still in its missionary phase. Certainly not all of Kinegil's family had converted, as Kenwayal indicates. When discussing Kenwayal, Bede makes it very clear that it was his initial paganism and hesitancy to accept Christianity that led to his being deposed by Penda in 645. In reality, it probably has more to do with the fact that in that year, Kenwayal repudiated Penda's sister and possibly their children, and in revenge, Penda invaded Gawissa and drove Kenwayal from the kingdom. Following the by now usual progression of Anglo-Saxon convert kings, Kenwayal went into exile in East Anglia, and there he took refuge with King Anna and was baptised at his court. Upon returning to Gawissa around 648, Kenwayal began a process of Christianization, which saw the expansion of the church and its missionary reach. It's always difficult to speculate about people's motivations, but this does seem to indicate that Kenwayal's conversion wasn't entirely self-serving and that it was, to some extent, genuine. His major innovation was in the creation of the Diocese of Winchester, in the lands conquered by Caolin to the west of the Gawissa's heartlands. It was also around this time that he gave 3,000 hides of land to Cuthred, son of Quickhelm, in the area around Ashdown in the Upper Thames Valley. 
The creation of Winchester is a major event in Gawisson history, since from Ken Wales reign on, it became the focal point of Gawisson power. Why this move was made is debated. Bede says that it was because the Bishop of Dorchester, a Gaul named Agilbert, couldn't speak Saxon, and so Kenwayal created a new bishopric under a man named Wiener who could speak his language. This hardly seems sufficient reason, though. Scholars have pointed to the gift of land to Cuthred as possibly indicating a tactical motivation behind the move westwards. The Upper Thames Valley was dangerously close to the Mercian city of London, and on at least one occasion, Penda's son Wolfhera ravaged Ashdown. It is possible, therefore, that the move to Winchester was made to secure the kingdom against Mercian attack. By elevating Cuthred, Kenwayal was also following in a well-established tradition of securing one's borders by elevating sub-kings. This is the military benefit of multiple kingship I mentioned earlier. That the old Gawisson heartlands were increasingly under Mercian influence is seen in the elevation of a pro-Mercian bishop to Dorchester around the year 665. Kenwayal's move westwards then certainly helped secure continued Gawisson independence. Along with this move, though, also came further expansion into British territory. In 658, Kenwayal secured Gawisson control of the lands up to the River Parrot, which runs through the modern counties of Somerset and Devon. Devon also contained many British settlements and monasteries. In particular, the monastery of Sherborne remembered Kenwayal as a generous patron, and it was also under his reign that the British city of Exeter, also in Devon, was absorbed into the Gawissa, and became a focal point for the intellectual life of several key Gawisson churchmen, including St Boniface, who I will discuss in a later episode. After what was, by really any definition of the word, a successful reign, Kenwayal died in the year 672, seemingly leaving no children besides those he'd had with Penda's sister, and thus leaving the throne of Gawissa empty. Thankfully, the proliferation of sub-kings meant that there were plenty of candidates to take the empty throne, but, as is usually the way with history, having too many candidates for a throne is often worse than not having any at all. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. History is the greatest adventure story. But does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Following the death of Kenwayal, the situation in Gawissa seems to have become extremely complicated. Two differing accounts survive of what happened. In the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle and the West Saxon Regnal List, 
Kenwyal was succeeded for about a year by his second wife, a woman named Seyxbur. This is an extremely rare occurrence in Anglo-Saxon history, for a woman to succeed the throne and to rule as a queen. Despite this, though, hardly anything is recorded about her or her brief reign. And if we go by the other major account, which is Bede's, she, in fact, didn't reign at all. He says that after Kenwayel's death, the sub-kings of the Gawissa attempted to divide the kingdom among themselves and ruled it for about ten years. So what exactly is happening here? The chroniclers and the regnal list compilers may well be oversimplifying matters. In an effort to project an unbroken line of succession from Serditch, they may have obscured other claimants to the throne at this time. On the other hand, Bede may well have seen Kenwayal's second marriage as illegitimate, and thus refused to list Seyxbur as queen, because to him she had no legitimate claim to the position. He may also have been motivated by the power of Wessex in his own day. King Ina, who ruled at the time Bede wrote his history, was a descendant of Caolin, and made this a key part of his claim to legitimacy, thus removing all other lines of descent from Serditch from the political stage. Seaxbur and the two kings who followed her, prior to the reign of Cadwalla, were not descendants of Caolin, and therefore, in the eyes of Bede's sources who were loyal to Ina, were illegitimate rulers. Thus, Bede may have consciously or unconsciously downplayed their importance by labelling them as just sub-kings, and glossing over Seaxbur entirely. King Alfred was not a direct descendant of Ina, and doesn't seem to have placed the same emphasis on ancestry that he did probably because all other lines of the family had been so utterly removed from authority by his day that they were no longer any real threat to him. Regardless of why, it's frustrating that we know so little about Seyxbur. No sooner does she appear in the Chronicle than she is gone, and replaced by a king named Ashwina. Ashwina reigned for only two years, dying in 676. He does seem to have been a somewhat successful king, though since the only major event of his reign is his defeat of a Mercian invasion in 675. Given that this was the beginning of the Mercian supremacy, that certainly was an impressive feat, and indicates that Ashwina shouldn't just be written off as a no-name sub-king. Ashwina was followed by a man named Kentwina, who, according to the Chronicle, was a son of Kinegils. Much like Ashwina, Kentwina seems to have been quite a successful king, despite Bede's silence about him. His major area of focus was to the west, and he's recorded in various traditions as leading several campaigns against the Britons of Domnonia. The Chronicle in 682 says that he, quote, drove the Britons to the sea, end quote, although exactly what this means is unclear, since the kingdom of Domnonia continued to exist after this date. The prolific churchman Aldhelm records much more information about Kentwina, he tells us that he won three great battles against the Britons, and that he was a pagan upon taking the throne, but converted to Christianity soon after. Althelm was writing only about a generation after Kentwina lived, and one of his sources was the king's own daughter, Eadbur, with whom Althelm was in correspondence. So, while we have no way of really verifying what Althelm says, there is good reason to think that it is somewhat reliable. It's puzzling, then, that the Chronicle records so little about him. Exactly why this is, isn't really known. Possibly it's just that the Chroniclers didn't have access to what Aldhelm wrote about Kentwina, or that they found his lack of specific dates problematic, although that didn't really stop them elsewhere. 
probably since Kent Wiener was not a direct ancestor of Alfred's, they felt it wasn't really important to go into too much detail about him, although they certainly went into more detail than Bede did. Yet, even so, the sheer lack of detail that they offer is slightly surprising. For example, they don't record that in around the year 685, Kent Wiener abdicated the throne to become a monk. That is a piece of information we get entirely from Aldhelm. After Kent Wiener abdicated, the kingdom of the Gawissa was left to fall into the hands of an energetic young warrior by the name of Cadwalla, who was to lead the Gawissa into a bold new future and oversee the emergence of an entirely new identity for the small southwestern kingdom. For now, though, what should we make of the period following Kenwayar's death? It was certainly confusing, and Bede's account makes it sound a lot like a period of civil war, but we cannot prove that, however, and instead the military successes of Ashwina and Kentwina seem to be inconsistent with a kingdom ravaged by internal divisions, particularly since the Gawissa had by now a fairly long history of multiple kingship. It seems that Kenwayar's death probably would not have been too much of a problem for them. But the records we have are so patchy that we can't really go into too much detail about the years between 672 and 685. Most of what we can say is either inference or unverifiable. What is certain, though, is that after the abdication of Kentwiener, Gawissan politics entered a new phase, which saw the kingdom transform from the kingdom of the Gawissa into the kingdom of the West Saxons. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anglo-Saxon England podcast. If you have, I'd like to request that you leave a like or a comment or a rating or a review or a subscription on whatever platform you use. Anything is extremely appreciated and helpful. We also now have a Patreon page where for as little as $3 a month you can get access to our bonus episodes which come out every other Wednesday between main series episodes and also the option to listen ad-free to all of the published episodes. I hope you'll consider coming over to check it out, but for now, thank you for listening. I've been your host, Tom Kearns, and this has been the Anglo-Saxon England Podcast. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.